Welcome to Blind Squirrel Macro the Pod. Squirrel here on the morning of Tuesday the 15th of January Melbourne time. Now Australia in January is a bit like France in August. It's very quiet indeed. Luckily there's plenty of action in the northern hemisphere at the moment to keep your friendly rodent busy. This single take podcast is our usual companion to the weekly newsletter which you can find for free at blindsquirrelmacro.com. First up, very quick message from Legal. Everything in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is categorically not investment advice. Before making any investment decisions, for heaven's sakes, don't listen to a cartoon rodent. Talk to a financial advisor. Now, one of the challenges of choosing a topic for a weekly letter on finance is trying to anticipate what's going to be discussed elsewhere and then just trying to take the note in a different direction. As such, this week we shall not be discussing the following topics. Bitcoin ETF launches. I think that we can see we can all agree that that was a sell the news event after all. Taiwanese elections, probably good that neither side swept the ballot. The bond market's response to last week's inflation data. I have to say inflation up, bonds up was a bit of a head scratcher for me. Houthi rebels in the Yemen and Red Sea, Red sea container shipping traffic. Um, once again, oil continues to ignore, ignore geopolitics. Um, one commodity in energy that is ripping, however, is uranium, hitting triple-digit dollars per pound last week. Anyway, this week we're going to talk about the weather. And at risk of jokes about the inability of Brits, Brits to talk about anything else, regular listeners, um, I have not actually talked about weather much on the pod, but I write about it extensively, will know that the squirrel has spent a large amount of time in recent months obsessing over colour-coded weather maps of North and South America. Drier and hotter summers in the US and Brazil, a wetter-than-expected Australian summer, and a late-starting but now very aggressive North American winter have all played out exactly as we suggested might be the case. To be clear, your squirrel is not a trained climate scientist nor a meteorologist. However, the long-cycle climate work of people like Sean Hackett and others has been central to our thoughts on grain markets and, more recently, natural gas positioning over the last year. Sean's long-term weather forecasts have been non-consensus but spot-on, and I strongly recommend that you catch up on his thoughts. I subscribe to his service, but there's a link to a podcast that he's on regularly um, in the letter this week. The current El Nino cycle is already weakening, and yet many media outlets are still stuck with a narrative talking about super El Ninos. Fears of a repeat of the devastating drought and bushfires that took place during the last El Nino in Australia have been forgotten as we now focus on excess rainfall and flood damage. However, I'm still completely at a loss as to why the ABC Evening News down here still is still talking about the damaging effects of El Nino. Extreme cold temperatures have only just started to garner the attention of natural gas markets that have been battered by supply growth and perhaps misplaced expectations of a blowtorch warm winter. In fact, the winterized football jersey that Taylor Swift was wearing this weekend to watch her new boyfriend at the Chiefs-Dolphins NFL playoff game seemingly got a lot more attention than the redness of Texas's electricity grid following its winterization upgrades. Henry Hub natural gas futures have only just woken up and are still not prepared to price the possibility of extreme storage draws created by the current cold temperatures. Last Friday, we published a new report on what we see as an interesting opportunity in the US oil refining sector. It was called a cracking sunset. 
The piece focused largely on the impressive balance sheet discipline and capital return potential of this group. However, there's also another, possibly overlooked again, climate angle here associated with the opportunity. In this case, it's the possibility of a significant Atlantic hurricane season later this year as La Nina conditions return. In agricultural commodity markets, last Friday, Friday's very bearish WASDE crop report from the USDA resulted in another battering of grain futures. WASDE stands for World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. The trading algorithms have now pushed corn and soybeans to fresh contract lows. According to Reuters' much-respected Karen Brown, corn had its worst January crop report day in 12 years. Recent optimism in wheat markets has also been rapidly reversed. Futures positioning in the grains is now at record bearish levels. 2024 net managed money positions are now miles below the five-year average. Now, I confess to have been early, which is code for wrong so far on our grains positioning. However, you have to be looking at some truly ponglossian assumptions, both in terms of crop yields and planted acreage in two hemispheres, north and south, to support this extreme level of negativity. Some of the production estimates in the WASDE report require some truly heroic assumptions. An example of this is USDA is calling for um, Brazilian soybean production of 156.26 million metric tons, a full 13 million metric tons higher than the level estimated by a respected private Brazilian agri-consultant earlier last week. One has to wonder whether or not the USDA data has gone the way of the EIA or the BLS in terms of the EIA's energy supply demand data and the BLS's inputs in terms of inflation. Sean Hackett actually made a really important related point. He said, I can assure you that Cargill, Archer, Daniels, Midland, etc. do not sit in a room and wait for the USDA to tell them what the truth on the ground in terms of grain supply is. However, it certainly looks as though there were some dip buyers waiting to buy off the machines on Friday afternoon. I think we're going to write a bit more about this in the coming weeks. In the light holiday disruption in today's, um, yesterday was Martin Luther King Day in the States, futures markets, um, it looks as though traders are trying to price a return of warmer temperatures in North America in a couple of weeks' time. Um, NatGas gave back quite a lot of the gains of late last week over the last 24 hours. Now, I'm not going to take you down the rabbit hole that is the polar vortex and um, sudden stratospheric um, um, events, but this may be an example of another viable dip. After a decent proportion of the world's private jets descend on Davos this week, we shall be once again treated to the usual diet of nuance-free pronouncements on man-made climate change. Irony is not dead. I'm of course sympathetic to the view that human activity has played a significant role in global warming. The world should definitely be building more nuclear power stations and burning less coal, and please don't start me on wood pellets and biomass power. One of the road trip podcasts that I didn't get a shout out on last week was Eric Townsend's Broken Energy Holiday Special with Lynn Alden. This was an oversight. If you missed it, put it back in your podcast queue now. Lynn has a really interesting mental model of how to look at energy sources. Everything is a derivative solar. There is a, there's a link to it in the, in the written note this week. We've sadly got to the stage of polarised political de debate whereby any climate change narrative other than humankind's carbon emissions is dismissed as fringe science at best, climate denialism at worst. By that I'm referring to things such as solar cycles, volcanic activity and maunder minimums. 
This blinkered approach to the problem feels like a mistake, even if it risks making messaging a bit more complex. Nuance is hard. Politicians seem to think that the populace can only, only understand three-letter slogans. The squirrel has no interest in being cancelled by either side of the debate. This rodent was brought up to be sceptical of anyone proclaiming certainty around any given topic. At the end of the day, I think we can all agree that we've been witnessing a large amount of weather volatility in the past few years. Atmospheric carbon is unlikely to be a one-size-fits-all cause. I suspect that we need to get used to the unexpected when it comes to climate. When it comes to agricultural and energy commodities, trading is dominated by computers trained to react to micro-changes in near-term weather models, power burns or barrel counts. It's also human nature to extrapolate the current trends, which have certainly been negative of late when it comes to grains and natural gas. Now, having a variant perception about medium and longer term weather trends likely still has alpha. Certain commodities are currently priced as if supply is infinite and demand is in terminal decline. This may well turn out to be a mistake. The squirrel certainly sees some potentially mispriced risks. Well, that's all for this week on the pod. In the second section of the written note for paid subscribers this week, we do a deeper dive into some of those mispriced risks and review some of our recent Acorn trades, specifically our positioning in fixed income and our long positions in energy, Brazilian and UK mid-cap equities. We also give our updated thoughts on equity shorts. Um, please find out more about the squirrel at blindsquirrelmacro.com. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at squirrelmacro. Thanks for listening. Squirrel out.